Welcome back to Molly Nook Podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Wilkinson. In this episode, I chatted with Amber Shojai, who discusses her literature review, highlighting the research that's been done to show the impact that performance-based intervention can have for participants who have developmental disabilities. She is also the older sister of Kaylee Shojai, who has been a guest in two episodes of this podcast series, once in season one and in season three, about Harmony, a theatrical organization which promotes access for performers with disabilities. To learn more about Harmony, be sure to check those episodes out. And the season one episode, What's Up With Joey, which features a conversation about For Good, another theater troupe which is mentioned in this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. This is kind of a neat episode. It's a return to form almost um, because this is the first one I've recorded in six episodes that is just with one other person and not several. Well, for what it's worth, uh, they're really fun to listen to, too. So They are fun and they're fun to record. It's just like, you know, the, the only thing that's difficult about them is the editing. It's kind of a nightmare. But since it's kind of the new, like, I don't, I used to intro these by doing like uh, fake, hey, how's it going? And then you would have to be like, oh, hi, even though we've been talking for a while up to this point. Yeah. So, uh, but since I've now kind of just pivoted to having people introduce themselves, um, it's just you, but would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. <laughs> so my name is Amber Shajai. Um, I am a third year doctor of occupational therapy student at the University of Pittsburgh, um, also a graduate of Penn State. Um, and we're talking about two significant areas today. Um, something that I think is kind of cool after going through your lit review is that, um, of, of course, you're kind of a, a great continuation or uh, I don't know the right word for it, but you were also part of Harmony and you founded your own Harmony. So we have that point of continuity. Mm-hmm. And one of your references in your lit review was written by, was co-authored by my very first guest for this season, John McCarthy. So Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of your, this is kind of a neat episode where all these different pieces are, are kind of coming together Yeah. Um, in our conversation today. So, and we talked about um, the exact one that you referenced. Oh, the, nice. Yeah. Great. Um, how music can improve social, um, social ability, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact title. Um, so where do you want to start? What do, what do you think makes the most sense? I guess would it probably be harmony, right? And then we can move into kind of your inspiration or your, is that, would harmony be a a significant part of why you did your lit review? I think that would be the most significant part. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. That's what I thought. I didn't (laughs) want to make any assumptions. So let's, why don't we start there? Um, Sure. Well, at this point, there's been five episodes about harmony on this podcast series. So I don't think we need to talk about what it is necessarily. Yeah. But let's definitely get into what was your involvement at Penn State Harmony? Sure. Yeah. So um, I actually joined Harmony my freshman year at Penn State. I um, remember going to the involvement fair and like trying to find something that I would be interested in and getting involved in. And um, I was like in the service section and I saw this um advertisement for harmony and I talked to the president at the time and was like oh my gosh this sounds like something I would love to do I've done musical theater my whole life I've all I've loved working with people with disabilities my whole life and I was like this is like marrying those two um, passions that I have 
And, um, I went to my first rehearsal, which at the time was, it was, we were rehearsing in the attic of the state theater. The group was so small. So it's, I, I know it's probably hard to picture now with how much the group has grown. Um, but there was probably like seven students and like 10 volunteers at the time. And I remember coming in and like, just loving it right off of the bat and I left the rehearsal and called my mom and was like mom I found my place at Penn State like immediately after my first rehearsal which is so cool and then after that I just um I became more and more involved and I was the instructor um for three years uh three of the four years that I was at um Penn State um along with Amy Estes and um and then it's cool now because my little sister is the instructor currently. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, it, Harmony literally shaped me into the person that I am today and changed my career path entirely. I came into Penn State as a business major. And um, after being involved with Harmony, I like, it kind of like pushed me towards uh, the career path that I'm in now, which is occupational therapy. Um, so I have Harmony to thank for that. And then I guess if you want me to keep going with my Harmony involvement, I, um, after I left Penn State, I was like, I, I just saw what a need there was for programs like this at Penn State and just in the world in general. Um, and I saw the opportunity to bring that here to Pittsburgh with me where um, I'm getting my doctorate degree. Um, and so I, at the time, my cousin um, was a, an acting major at Carnegie Mellon. And so the two of us like kind of partnered up and created a Harmony Pittsburgh, which is the exact same principle of what's going on at Harmony at Penn State, just in another city. Doing these podcasts about um, access, creating uh, accessible theater spaces. I don't know. It's just cool to talk to someone who's super passionate about that that's kind of the whole reason I started these um yeah and you I'm just gonna like transition us right away we, we might just have to dabble in both because I think the next natural like step in this conversation is your passion turned you were able to take the passion that you have for theater and performance and like demonstrate the value in a very like structural and um research-based way with your lit review yeah um, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah, actually, whenever I started Harmony Pittsburgh, uh, I recruited a lot of volunteers from the occupational therapy department at Pitt, uh, because this is like something that is in the scope of practice of occupational therapy. Uh, social interaction skills, for example, are um, a performance skill, which is something that we addressed with address with OT. And um, this is a population that we tend to work with as well. Um, and so like finding that parallel seemed pretty easy to me. And then on top of all that, like I remember like being in my classes and being like, I can apply what I'm learning here to Harmony and I can turn on my occupational therapy lens um, in, in that setting. Um, so the, like I said, the transition seemed pretty, it was seamless to me, um, tying in literature and research um, to what I was already doing as a volunteer. Um, and, and the education that I received um, helped, helped me apply that too. 
Um, and then now, yeah, uh, my, my third year, we, we were creating something called a clinical practice guideline. And that's, that's kind of what um, prompted this whole uh, literature review that I did. Um, and for the clinical practice guideline, we, we kind of got to pick the topic that we were passionate about um, that could guide practice. And um, like I said, like I, I saw this, um, this connection between musical theater and um, how it can benefit this population and occupational therapy. And so I just wanted to like see what kind of research was out there. And it's also research that I'm very interested in. So um, that's where I started. And um, I mean, this, the research shows that uh, with this autism spectrum disorder and developmental disorder population, that uh, music and drama-based interventions can be really effective in promoting social skills and communication and um, engagement and things like that. Well, that's one of the things that um, I'm so interested by uh, talking about performance and then disability is that um, it's uh, it's very easy, I think, for people who have done theater before to talk about all of these different things that it has done for them. Um, and I feel like it's very universal. Uh, you know, performers will say stuff like, oh, it gave me a sense of community that was stronger than, you know, all these other, like any other activity I've ever done. Right. Um, it, you know, and it, 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 improved my confidence when I'm talking in front of people you know I get up on stage and I sing and then Nick translates into I'm just I feel more confident or just better about doing that in front of an audience for you know a class project or whatever right and I think the challenge is that that's not quantifiable from like a research perspective necessarily mm -hmm. until someone actually goes and does it and I think doing a literature review of what is available what has been available is just such a great like step in demonstrating look like theater isn't just singing and dancing and you know it's not just like a fun activity that people go and watch like it has mm -hmm. built into it real concrete skill development and like social uh development and confidence like it does all of yeah. these things for people absolutely so let's i guess just jump into it like fully so first um what were some of the like when you started like, how did you start? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's actually not super easy. There's not a whole lot of research on this topic as far as I could tell. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, although there is some evidence, um, there's there's not a ton um, as compared to like, I'm sure many other um, interventions that you might uh, look up. Um, so it's definitely an area that needs additional research, um, which is also super interesting to me. But the research that was out there, uh, I guess the the way I started it, it was very like a very systematic way that you know we learned to do in school. But um, a lot of it was like just looking for keywords like music and drama based interventions um, with the autism spectrum disorder and developmental disorder population. Um, and uh, like some other keywords that I use are like occupational therapy. And um, I, I looked for both children and adults just to look across um, the lifespan because as OTs, we work across the lifespan. Um, also looking for words like socio-emotional, social skills, communication, things like that. Just like those kind of target areas that I was looking for. Um, things that I like kind of in a, in a qualitative way I've seen the impact of um, these things being improved 
um, through my work with Harmony. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to see what existed out there to like prove that this, this kind of, this kind of program actually works. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's where I began. And then from there, I, I just was sifting through article upon article, um, you know, to find the, the most relevant of research. To me, I think it, it does a really good job of like, we were talking about kind of creating, um, I mean, it, it's a resource. Uh, what is the exact wording of who is this for? Sure. Yeah. So um, the who should use this document, we have any professional working with individuals with autism, autism spectrum disorder and developmental disorders. And then in parentheses, I have occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech language pathologists, teachers, psychologists, etc. But really, it's anyone that that works with this population. So I guess to start this document is a clinical practice guideline. So I listed people that work clinically. Um, and I think that music and drama-based interventions typically are not um, utilized in a clinical setting if it's not like a music or drama um, therapist or arts therapist that's working with someone. Um, so this is like, this document was kind of guiding that like other practitioners can use these music and drama-based interventions um, in clinical practice, and it'll be effective. It doesn't have to be um, just music therapists, art therapists, drama therapists. Um, and then in turn, um, basically, I have these like four areas of key recommendations. Do we read those? The key recommendations? <laughs> yeah, you should. Okay. This is exactly the thing that I was, that I'm constantly looking for, um, just in terms of like real structural concrete research. Right. In relationship with this thing that I'm also super interested in. Right. Yeah. So um, I'll read my key recommendations here. And, and this is like, I guess, the area that we can kind of think about how can a practitioner apply this to practice, but also um, anybody who is working with this population, how can they apply it to whatever they might be doing? So the four main key recommendations that I have are um, offer school-based music slash drama programming establish group music slash drama intervention opportunities, create opportunities for child-directed approaches to music slash drama interventions, and teach participants to recognize and comprehend social skills. I think we talked about this a little bit before, but let's really like, like go into it now. Um, okay. What are some of the, the outcomes that you're looking for with these um, four uh, key points? Sure. Yeah, so um, some of the some of the evidence that um, we have says that there's significant gains in eye contact, turn taking, and cooperative learning, engagement, social awareness, and self confidence, symbolic flexibility, and emotional understanding. Um, so I guess those are some of the big take takeaways. Um, also. Uh, do domains of joint attention and actions of social engagement um and uh, social emotional and motivational development and those are all I'm, I'm just making sure i read the the right wording because that is coming from research yeah and um how do you think that um why would they introduce something like music-based um intervention as opposed to like stuff that we've seen done before yeah that's a great question um i think that a big component of that would be that 
as clinicians, we are expected to um, always keep up with the latest evidence um, and we provide evidence-based practice. So there's evidence out there that says that this kind of intervention works to address those things. So if there's recent evidence that says that we can use this, then it is something that we should be using in practice. Um, and then not to mention that it, it, it's been proven effective to establish these skills. And if that's a goal that we have for a patient, then it's a tool that we can use to get like an avenue to get to that um, end goal. So I think that that's one component of it. And then additionally, I think it just like from a, like a person who's passionate about musical and musical and theater um, like perspective of this, like I, I think it's also great for more of the world to know and understand um, how effective this can be. And um, just kind of getting a dose of that, um, what we can see from a um, just a sheerly observational perspective, how this can impact this population. Um, I think that it just shapes us into better clinicians for knowing and recognizing those things and, and using those tools with our patients, you know, um, to help them function. I think it's really great. Like it's obviously incredibly important to be doing this research. It also is a bummer that this isn't something that's already been done. Um, it would be great to have more access for individuals who enjoy performance or who think they might enjoy performance to have access to a, a mode of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to have access to a different way of addressing these challenges that's more comfortable for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right from like a very anecdotal perspective. I can say that musical theater has impacted me positively. I'm sure there's many other people that feel the same way. Like you're saying, like people saying like, this has increased my confidence, you know, and, and also even from our Harmony students, the same sort of thing, Harmony students, Harmony parents, um, again, anecdotally, we hear the ways that they feel that they've progressed or they feel that their child or their loved one has progressed. On top of all that, as occupational therapists specifically, we always talk about engaging our clients in meaningful occupations, so something that has meaning to them. Um, it's all about finding that motivation uh, for them to do something to get to that end goal, whatever it may be. So if musical theater is something that they are passionate about and is meaningful to them, then this is an avenue that we can use. Um, and and that it is effective to get to those end goals of improved social participation or communication skills. This really is marrying. This really is like the point where all things collide. Um, Cause this is exactly what John McCarthy talks about in his episode, episode one of season three. Mm -hmm. And it's also what I've been trying to do with the four harmony episodes. But with those episodes, my goal was to, uh, and why I wanted to speak to different groups within the Harmony community was to um, highlight that Harmony is affecting all of these groups significantly and universally, which is why this whole series is called Universal Design for Performance. The universal outcome is that, you know, you talk to the Harmony volunteers and they say that they feel more confident in their day-to-day. -day. And, and there was one who specifically called out 
that she was put at the front of the stage because her pair needed to be at the front of the stage because her pair was in a wheelchair. And so she had like significant growth as a result of that because she's at the front of the stage. She has to perform. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, and then you talk to the performers themselves and they say similar things about the opportunity to perform. And, you know, it's not universal in the sense that I don't think if you put anyone on a stage, they end up more confident. It, it might have the opposite effect, but isn't it great that, or ideally that we have all these different avenues for each individual. And so now we can have more universal and more tailored approaches to finding the best paths for them to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't have any of the research to show it, but I do think that um, the, the vo- from the volunteer perspective, this is such a huge, huge, it had such a huge impact on them. Um, having the opportunity to support these individuals or just learn from them in general, like you were saying in in the one episode and how she was talking about how, you know, she was probably kind of pushed out of her comfort zone a little bit, but she feels like she grew from that too. And, and I think that that's such a unique aspect of harmony too. Um, Again, just speaking from like my perspective as, as a, as a volunteer and as an instructor. And um, I know that I've, had so much personal growth from the opportunities that it's opened for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I like sitting in my kind of documentary podcast world is Mm -hmm. that um, I can just point the camera at someone and they can talk about their personal experiences anecdotally. I don't have to like, all right, and then I have to go back through and do all the data and analysis. It's right. It's a little bit kind of, it's more freeing and the way that you approach. Right. (laughs) Um, So that's another reason that I'm glad I had so many people in all of the episodes is that you really get a wide range of, of different people talking about things that were effective for them from theater and performance. Was there anything that was particularly interesting or um, compelling or that really you were like, wow, I'm glad that this already like is in writing uh, from any of the, the literature that you were reviewing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, I thought the whole thing was compelling because I'm so (laughs) passionate about this topic. Um, But I guess some of the like big takeaways that I thought were um, interesting to read about the literature on was um, that uh, curricula that engages all three art forms um, represented in musical theater is effective. So that would be um, one would be music slash song, one would be dance slash movement, and then one would be acting slash impersonation, which was really neat to read because that is what we do in harmony. We have singing, we have dancing, we have acting, and um, and curricula that 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 involves all of that is effective. Um, And then another um, interesting piece that I found um, was a little bit about um, like video modeling. Um, So it talked about like doing like singing or like facial gestures on a close-up video um, and like choreography on like a full body footage video um, and showing those to participants was like proven to be pretty effective and um, and, and then being able to display a character, or display the song and dance or whatever it was. And um, I think that was particularly interesting to me because I've seen a lot of other research about video modeling um, with this population um, in a, in a different, um, uh, I guess in a different um, like 
genre, um, not with musical theater. So that was like interesting to see that it was also being used here with music and drama um, and uh, it works. Yeah, that is interesting. So did you, after kind of embarking on this, first of all, how does it feel that it's, you did it? <laughs> it, it feels good. It's like, I, I really, like I said, I really enjoyed um, reading the research that there is out there on the topic. It did make me feel even more passionate about um, employing additional research in this area um, because it's pretty limited. It's not, there's not a ton. Um, so uh, I, I really enjoyed doing the research and, and kind of synthesizing all the information I found. And I'm really enjoying sharing it with people um, because uh, harmony is something that I've been so passionate about for the last seven years um, since I, I was introduced to the organization. Um, it just feels, it feels good to like share with others um, that, that it's something that does work and it's effective in, with this population. Yeah, definitely. I know early on um, for the Molly Nook podcast, I talked with the music therapist who said that one of the things that was challenging about music therapy as a field is having to advocate for herself constantly because music therapy, it's, it's kind of a new field and um, it doesn't get treated kind of at the same level of value as a lot of other fields. I think because it's new and also because music and is kind of loosely considered like a a form of entertainment in the same way and you know it's it's kind of geared towards fun for a lot of mm -hmm. people as opposed to like a professional tool that can be used right um i would assume it's kind of it must feel similar when approaching performance as a tool um in a clinic as opposed to as you know an extracurricular activity right yeah yeah, absolutely. This is definitely something that needs to be advocated for more uh, because you're exactly right. It is oftentimes looked at more as entertainment and less as a therapeutic activity. Um, but that's why I think the the research that exists is so important and and being able to advocate that for that and share that message um, is really great too. And I think also, I think that something that's great about this is that this kind of shows um, the opportunity for like co-treatment um, or just collaboration with music therapy and occupational therapy, which is not typically, uh, right now, at least currently in practice, it's not typically something that you see a collaboration with um, super frequently. Um, but like even this year on another project that I was doing on my capstone, um, I did another huge lit review for that um, with my group. And we found that song and lyric is really effective in maximizing functional independence skills um, for people with disabilities. And so I collaborated with a music therapist to write a song about brushing your teeth. And um, that was a really cool opportunity for both of us. Like I learned from her that um, using a song that is familiar uh, to the patient um, is more effective for like reinforcing um, the behavior. So we did it to the tune of if you're happy and you know it. And I kind of did like an activity analysis of what the steps of brushing your teeth are. And, and we put it all together and we worked together to make that. And um, now it's something that the hospital that we worked with can use for forever. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's what I think is interesting is that I, th I, I feel like the idea of, of using 
song, for example, has been around for a while. I don't know why it gets, when you create a whole field dedicated to it, it suddenly becomes, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like these are tools that have existed for a very long time. People right. use little jingles to remember. I don't know. I, I know people who do do that. I personally don't, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I absolutely know. I feel like I'm constantly singing something to yeah. myself. <laughs> um. So that's really cool. That's like such a great example of, I was actually just about to ask you kind of in the same vein, did you end up, or were you able to, after doing this, were you able to think about harmony differently or did it, did it give you any ideas about how to approach material or like, how has it affected you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually, I do think that it, it has given me an even bigger, better perspective on how to approach harmony. I think that a lot of these things in a more general sense um, are covered in our curriculum. And so like I was already applying some of the things that I was learning in class to um, to my weekly rehearsals with harmony. But um, more specifically, like some of the like systematic things that these the research articles um, included, uh, I think are things that I will definitely employ in harmony. Um, for example, like with the um, video modeling, we do tend to send out videos for choreography and things like that. But um, I don't think I've ever thought to like send out a, like a close up, um, just like a headshot video of, of me doing facial expressions and singing um, for the students to rehearse on their own time. Um, so like that's something, for example, that I, we're, we're seeing that is used and um, is benefiting the uh, people that they work with. So I, I think that's something that's like one of the more like tangible um, items that I'll definitely try to incorporate in the Harmony curriculum. I think that's super interesting. This might be um, like a tangent too far, but something that has been brought up in the past uh, in relation to um, ASD specifically is um, I remember talking with um, a professor at the Penn State University. She created a sheet uh, with facial expressions on it for one of the um, one of her clients, and that was because that sheet was a tool for them to um, identify facial feature or facial expressions. Then the, the idea was that they would become more comfortable identifying facial expressions and understanding, like, okay, this one means mad or etc and i i don't remember i think they were fairly young so it was like early intervention do you think that your video modeling is that in the same kind of vein that sounds very similar yeah definitely and and there is a lot of research out there for um like visual aids um and video modeling for the asd population um so i would i would definitely say that that is kind of like same same sort of categories um just like showing and providing an example of what that facial expression looks like and now let's try to recreate it or let's imagine what that that feeling is or things like that that's i think that's exactly the same sort of thing that's super interesting i mean that's like a super concrete example of of kind of the value of performance yeah um, but i do think it's true that theater spaces for people who are comfortable in them you know, I don't know the word that it's like a, it's like a performance basis for performers are comfortable. That's basically right. the extent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think a huge part of it too, is that I, I, theater spaces tend to lend themselves to some sort of discomfort at one point or another, like when you're mm -hmm. performing, that's, 
you you're there's probably some point that you're not feeling the most comfortable comfortable but I think in this setting like with performing and just in life in general like we don't we don't have any kind of growth if we just are constantly in our comfort zone so being pushed out of that comfort zone and having this safe space to be pushed out of our comfort zone is such a great way to learn and grow um so I think that that theater is just a, a great um, setting for that. Oh, you really articulated well something that was not coming across from me at all. That was <laughs> that was awesome. That was really great. Um, <laughs> so let me think. Oh, I, this is first. Uh, hopefully, you don't mind that we only just kind of briefly touched on harmony. Was there any other like aspect of like I'm sure starting a Pittsburgh harmony was was it intimidating? Was it how did you feel having to start over basically and you had to um, be the one who took charge of that yeah um intimidating i don't know if i i think that overall i think i was just really excited like i was excited at the opportunity um it's like this basically the second i like committed to the university of pittsburgh i started thinking about how i could bring harmony there um because i i saw just how important this organization is to um the people that it serves and the community in general um so i think excitement was probably my like overarching reaction to the experience but i i do absolutely think it came with a lot of challenges because it's starting i was starting this brand new um in addition to starting a doctorate level program and um you know you, that comes with learning new ways to manage your time and um and and making establishing connections in a in a community that i didn't already have um connections and like um with with uh penn state i had been there for four years. So as we continued to grow over the years, I mean, I worked in the school district. Um, I did my internship in the school district. Um, I did like community events all the time. So I had access to a lot of people in the disability community that would help me spread the word. I made so many personal connections and and now my network in Pittsburgh was completely different. And although I, I knew I know some people in Pittsburgh and I had some connections and I did use those connections I didn't have nearly as many as I did in state college um so that was definitely a challenge um getting everything up and up and started and um and everything but I think uh, overall it was just it was a really exciting experience and honestly something that has also helped me learn and grow a lot as a as a person and a, a future practitioner that's cool. That's that's really inspiring, honestly, to hear that that you were just like, yeah, I, I can do this. Um, <laughs> and I mean, what a great result. Now Harmony. Now Pittsburgh has a Harmony. Mm -hmm. State College has a Harmony. Um, be great to see that. Talking of universal design, be great to see that universally just all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's so cool too to see like, I mean, when you look at it, like State College versus the city of Pittsburgh, like you're looking at a more like rural setting versus a more urban setting. And it's this, the program is still feasible both ways. And then on top of all that, we had a pandemic thrown in there and everybody switched to a virtual format and we could do it virtually too. So it's like, how cool is that, that we are able to mold this organization into all these different formats and settings and communities, and it still succeeds. And it still is a 
affecting uh, the people that we're working with and the surrounding community. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always said specifically of State College, because it's such a small town when you eliminate uh, the students, like the Penn State mm -hmm. students. Um, if this is, if there's such a need, like if there's so obviously a demand for um, programs like Harmony and For Good, and the fact that they can coexist and one doesn't eliminate the other one, right? Yeah. Like, Absolutely. I think the fact that they, they exist here and there's 14 performers in For Good, like a lot <laughs> in, <laughs> in Harmony. harmony. <laughs> um, I think that de like demonstrates that this is something, even if you take away, like even if this didn't provide any of the skill building that we were talking about earlier, because I don't think that you need to justify the value of performance on the level of, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Even if you were to take away all the stuff like that we're talking about skill building and confidence, like even if those things weren't happening at all, I still think theater is extremely valuable because mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for a bunch of people to have fun with each other. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's doing all these things is really great. And I'm, I'm super encouraged by that because I think that justifies a lot of people, like people who don't have a theater background's perspective on doing these kinds of programs. But at the same time, um, I think just creating an access point for performers who have an interest in uh, theater, who have a disability, is super necessary because it's like a fun activity. Absolutely. You're right. It, it, you're exactly right. It's it's opportunity. It's access. It's things that, that we should be presenting more in the world. Um, it's inclusion and, and, and obviously that's something that um, is needed in the state college community in the Pittsburgh community and beyond. And it's great. It does all those other things too. Right. <laughs> and not to mention that it is effective too. And we yeah. Love to I mean, that's that. like a really great, isn't that like amazing? So here's my last, this is my last question. It is completely out of, I don't think anyone was expecting this. Uh, who wrote the harmony theme song? Oh, um, me and Amy Estes, uh, who was my co-instructor for harmony. Um, whenever I was at Penn State. So the two of us wrote it together and we, um, I, I very distinctly remember writing it because we were um, in a in a classroom on campus, like late one night, like working on harmony stuff, like probably choreographing and, you know, formulating our script. And, and then we were like, you know what? Harmony is so great. We should have a song. And then we're like, wait, we have too much to do for the showcase. Like, we can't think about this right now. And then all of a sudden, we both just like kind of start singing a little jingle. And then we're like, all right, we're writing a harmony song. It's been stuck in my head for maybe five weeks. I think since the <laughs> first rehearsal, it's just been bouncing. Like, whenever my brain isn't thinking about anything else, it's just bouncing around the harmony. Just the harmony song. song. <laughs> yeah. It is extraordinarily catchy. So good <laughs> well, thank work. You. Yeah. <laughs> thank congratulations. You. Like it's very effective. That's basically the podcast. Um, any closing thoughts? Do you want to, is there some way that we can tie this whole thing up? Oh, wow. Closing thought. <laughs> yeah. Know. Like a conclusion. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's think, I guess, um, go out and offer more opportunities like harmony that involve music and drama um, in, you know, in your everyday life and um, through programming. And if you're a clinician through your clinical work, um, because this is something that can benefit the people we work with and, um, and the literature says that it's effective. 
Yeah, that's great. That's a really good closing thought, actually. <laughs> good. I'm glad. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that's um, that's it. We did it. Thanks again for listening to Molly Nook Podcasts. The intro song and the song that you're listening to now was written and performed by Anna Miller. <laughs>